New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Oren J. Sulfur, teacher of meditation, mindfulness, and nonviolent communication. And he's the author of Your Heart Was Made for This, Contemplative Practice for Meeting a World in Crisis with Courage, Integrity, and Love. And I'm speaking with Oren at his home by Remote Connection. Orrin, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Hey, Justine. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I'd like to start off to just remind people about the times that we're living in. And you report on how our nervous system is not really designed to process the vast, vast amounts of information with which so many of us are flooded on a daily basis. For example, there are reports of wars 10,000 miles away or mass shootings at home or hunger, social inequities. So please give us advice about how we can stay engaged and connected in a world with so much heartache. Yeah, well, I chuckle because it's something that I contend with every day. Uh, there's a certain irony, you know, I think, in just even being asked uh, for advice on it because I, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And I think the more uh, honest and real and open we can be about that, the better positioned we are to find our way. So one of the core principles of my own practice and uh, what, what gets known as engaged Buddhism, which is uh, just this application of our spirituality to the conditions of our world is not turning away from suffering, ensuring that we are keeping our hearts open to the suffering of others and, and the world uh, and retreating into the illusion of a sort of protective bubble. And I say illusion because in our world today, nothing is separate. Everything affects everything. And of course, in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to stay aware and connected to the suffering that is unfolding in our communities and our world, we also need to be able to take a break. Um, we need to be able to nourish the heart. We need to be able to say, right now, I'm going to turn the news off and just uh, delight in my family or in nature. And so there's a balance. There's a back and forth here. And this is one of the central themes in in the book is how do we nourish ourselves? How do we care for our hearts? Not as a way of avoiding what's happening, but actually quite the opposite as a way of resourcing ourselves so that we have more to give and so that we are poised to be effective in our response to suffering. You mentioned suffering and you mentioned engaged Buddhism. That just takes me to what many of us have heard, uh, the Four Noble Truths. And mm -hmm. this was when the Buddha talked about suffering. And there seems to be a misconception about mm -hmm. that. 
Thanks, Justine. Well, I, I think you just said it right there. So the mistranslation and misunderstanding is that he said life is suffering, which is not what he said, <laughs> or at least not the record we have of what he said. The the teaching is that there is suffering. He was making an existential statement of reality, saying that, look, part of being human is that it's hard. It's hard to be here. There is this aspect of our life that's difficult to bear. And it's not the same for all of us. We suffer in different ways. And to a large degree, because of the structures of our society, that suffering is meted out unequitably. Um, and all of us, as part of woven into the fabric of being human, suffer. So this is the starting point of just recognizing, let's be real about it. Then he goes on to diagnose the problem and says, there's, a, there's an aspect of this suffering that's extra that's not actually necessary, and there's a cause to it, and the cause is our own resistance and control of things that are beyond our control rooted in ignorance, that we don't understand the nature of life at a deep level, and therefore we fight with it, we struggle with it, we try to control things we can't control, and that leads to this kind of friction and suffering. And that, guess what? This can end. This can cease. There's there's actually freedom from it. There's the Four Noble Truths are good news. It says you can be happier. You can actually experience more freedom inside. And finally, that there's a path to practice. There's actually a set of steps you can take to free your heart from unnecessary suffering. And I think the modern way this is put, which is a very kind of beautiful and succinct illustration of one of the core principles in Buddhism, is that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. We all experience pain, but whether or not we suffer over it, whether it, whether we become bitter, whether it breaks us, that depends on how we relate to it. And that's really uh, the invitation of any sort of deep contemplative practices to look more carefully at these aspects of our experience and transform our relationship to them. I've written about this saying, activism without driving yourself crazy is what I call it. <laughs> we want to be helpful and contribute to aliveness and be of benefit to the world, our community, mm -hmm. our family. And in acting, we must be careful not to be attached to the outcome. Of course, we care about the outcome, particularly if we're thinking, you know, if we're looking at issues of social justice or equity, because the outcome is what matters, right? Yes. Um, so the idea here is um, not that we give up on the outcome, but that we focus on what we can do and let go of what we can't control. It's that we we hold we hold fast to our vision and our commitment to a world of equity and justice and peace and rights, equal rights. Um, but we recognize that often what we can do is just this next step in front of us. And if we make our efforts based only on the success or victory of a campaign, we end up burning out because that's not up to us. Instead, we can act from a place that is rooted in the the rightness of our actions. Say, I'm doing this because this is what I need to do in order to be in integrity, in order to express my love or my care or my values. And then the rest isn't up to me. It's not that I don't care about the outcome. It's that I recognize it's beyond my control. I remember being with the Dalai Lama one time when he was asked this question. 
Why does he do what he does? Because he'll probably never get back to Tibet and there's genocide happening with his people and all of that. And it was just a difficult question. And I remember so distinctly what he said. He said, well, I don't know the outcome of my efforts, but I get up every morning and I do what is right and good for me to do. And that really stuck with me on through these many decades now. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And, you know, he's certainly one um, that has embodied that his whole life, right? And doing it because it's what I need to do and what's right. Uh, even even if the result never comes, it's like if, you know, and I think this is so relevant to the climate emergency. It's like if you're on a boat, uh, say, you know, a ship that's sinking, do you just throw your arms up in the air and say, well, we're all going to die. There's nothing I can do. Or do you, you know, try to save as many people as possible? Do you do you do the best that you can and know that everything that I'm doing, everything that I can and, you know, despair is real. Climate anxiety is real. These are experiences uh, that I think we need to contend with and come to terms with. And one of the beautiful opportunities is that um, acting is a vehicle for alleviating some of that anxiety, for contending with some of the despair, as is um, sharing it with others. You know, we have a tremendous resource in one another and being able to um, connect and be real and um, grieve together, mourn together, uh, be honest about our fear, our helplessness together, whatever it is that we're contending with or facing, whether it's you know war, hunger, the ecological crisis. Um, there's so much tendency in the dominant society to withdraw or retreat into ourselves and try to bear things alone, which often only compounds the suffering. And uh, when we can recognize that our suffering is not um, our fault, it's not some sort of like failure or, um, you know, pariah, but actually a, a deep and beautiful expression of our humanity, um, it become something that can actually bring us closer together and empower us. And what you're talking about is enhancing what um, Thich Nhat Hanh, what Martin Luther King, what others have talked about, the beloved community. And that's what you're talking about. I hear you encouraging us to reach out to one another, to not isolate in this time. Is that part of the message? Completely. Yeah. Throughout the book, there are lots of practices that you suggest to us. Mm -hmm. And one is if we're feeling anxiety or despair or some of these things that are coming up as we do these practices, because inevitably they do, you use the word anchor yourself in some visualization or object or mantra or something. And what I did is now I have this visualization of sitting on a beach and the waves are coming in. And if I'm really agitated, they might be crashing in. If I'm not, if I'm mildly agitated, maybe they're a little softer. But the whole image is how the sand 
absorbs that wave and absorbs mm. that water. It just like it just mm. sort of dissipates and dissipates. And if you listen carefully, you can even hear a little sizzling <laughs> as the wave is totally absorbed and the sand yeah. gives the water back to the ocean. Yeah, you're pointing to one of the methods that I invite uh, people to explore in in many of the chapters, which is using a visualization as a way of strengthening a particular experience or quality, and that we have this capacity um, to recollect or imagine experiences that transform us. I'd so appreciate that as you give all of these many, many qualities and traits that we can cultivate, you give us ways to do it, ways to hold it. And if we find it difficult, how to be gentle with ourselves. I highly recommend this book for anyone because it really is very helpful to us in these times. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe today, Orrin. Thanks for having me, Justine. I've been speaking with Orrin J. Sofer, and he is a meditation and mindfulness and nonviolent communication teacher. And he's the author of Your Heart Was Made for This, Contemplative Practice for Meeting a World in Crisis with Courage, Integrity, and Love. To find out more about his work, you can go to his website, Orrin J. Sofer, and he spells it O-R-E-N, Orrin J. J A Y Sofer S O F E R orangejsofer.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org where you'll find over 1800 programs in its archive. I'm Justine Willis Toms. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.